Welcome to the second episode of How Public Works, a podcast about local government and how you as a citizen can learn about what happens in the public space and how you can participate to influence and enhance your community. In this episode, we're going to explore the world of transportation planning and the journey of public engagement. My guest tonight is Sean Hurdle, who is a prominent urban planner in the city of Toronto and is passionate about exploring, thinking about, and planning cities. Sean has participated in many urban planning, transit, and transportation master plans and is focused on making cities livable and enjoyable for its inhabitants. He is also professor and lecturer at Ryerson and Waterloo on this topic. Sean, welcome. Ah, oh, thank you, Ilmar. Thank you so very much for having me. This is uh, this is fun. I'm having fun already, so thank you. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Let me start by asking you if you can tell me what it is that makes your role in planning so exciting. Well, I think because it, there's it's open ended, right? Talk about an open ended question, and <laughs> uh, you know, Ilmar, you're a professional engineer. Uh, and there are certain things that engineers can and cannot do because you're bound by the laws of gravity, right? Yes. Uh, you know, Sir Isaac Newton <laughs> says that, you know, there are certain, there are certain, you know, quite literally, there are certain laws yeah. uh, to, you know, gravity works a certain way and, and there's certain things that may and may not happen. And as a planner early in my career, I was kind of bummed out that, that we didn't have anything similar in planning. Um, but as I got older and as I got wiser, I realized, you know, not being bound by the laws of gravity, literally and figuratively, is pretty cool, right? Yeah. Um, we don't, we don't, planners don't deal in Newtonian currency, which I think, you know, can, can just frustrate the hell out of engineers sometimes, yes. right? Yeah. Um, however, I've really learned, especially in the past few years, I think, Ilmar, really learned to, to use that space uh, and um, really... Uh, stretch my mind and stretch my thinking mm. uh, and challenge myself and just experiment. And I think that to me is what makes planning exciting. Now, the flip side is, is that yeah. it makes for every excitement, you've got like 10 frustrations, right? You've got, you know, um, uh, you know, the public telling you uh, what an amazing job you're doing, right? Naturally, right? And, uh, <laughs> you know, planners and engineers, we make recommendations, but not decisions, right? So it's inherently political. Uh, and um, who saw COVID-19 coming, for example, right? So there you go. Uh, so that can, <laughs> that can blow up and derail a lot of our plans. You know what they say about best laid plans, right? Of course. Um, so, of course. But, but the flip side to that is all this opportunity that, that we tell ourselves that, that we have. When I look at your profile, um, Sean, I see a lot of projects that you've been involved in over the years. And I was wondering if you can tell me a little bit about, you know, one of the more interesting projects and what it was about and what, you know, what it particularly did for you, what, it, what resonated for you when you were involved in that project and its outcome. Yeah, I think the, the two, two collide. Um, the first was one of my very first consulting projects. Uh, I, like you, uh, you know, had a you know long career in, in public service. Mm -hmm. uh, and in fact, I think, you know, for all our listeners out there, <laughs> yeah. Ilmar and I worked together uh, yes. at, at the region of York, which was which is great. And that's one thing I love about planning is you meet lots of great people. Uh, and uh, it really is uh, people driven. Um, one of my first consulting projects um, was uh, a suburban uh, bus rapid transit line. 
uh, connecting the southeastern suburbs of the city of Chicago, southwestern suburbs, rather. Southeastern would be in the middle of uh, Lake Michigan, uh, southwestern exactly. suburbs of, of Chicago at the end of the, of the red subway line uh, on 95th Street. And uh, our client, uh, Pace, uh, Pace Bus, uh, said that one of their main concerns was, quote, uh, you know, getting more people to getting more white people to ride the bus. Wow. And I was absolutely like blown away um, by the frankness of that statement and also the fact that it was, well, ostensibly true. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I, I remember I didn't know how to react. So I kind of, you know, silly Canadian from Toronto. And I kind of burst out in a little bit of a self-affecting laugh. Uh, and uh, no one joined me. Uh, and then I realized, man, okay, this is going to be interesting. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so fast forward, uh, when I was doing some research with the City Institute at York University, uh, we were contacted by... Uh, uh, the province of Ontario's transit agency, Metrolinx. Uh, so as part of their most recent uh, update to the uh, regional transportation plan, the RTP, uh, we were asked uh, to come to lead a, uh, a large um, multi-year research project uh, in social equity uh, to identify ways that, that, Tor that Toronto's and the provinces uh, you know, multi-billion, multi-year uh, investment in public transit could um, be more socially equitable uh, in terms of uh, uh, not only recognizing the needs of our most vulnerable residents, but also doing something about it okay. uh, in, in transit and how transit investments could, um, could be used as a means to not just move people, but also impact communities in a, in a positive way, uh, especially communities that in the past historically have been physically, like quite literally bypassed um, be, by virtue of uh, proximity to certain areas, by virtue of income, uh, by, virtu by virtue of, of demographics, etc. For, for me, I immediately thought of my time in Chicago in terms of how to quite literally, you know, put different bums in seats and broaden who uh, our notion of the public is. Wow, that's you an know, interesting we, experience. It, yeah, uh, and to me, you know, it's been absolutely transformational for me um, as a as a professional, but but most importantly, I think as a person, uh, it it really impacted me. Well, that brings a whole new human side to to you know the whole notion of planning, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. You know, it's funny. Um, we take for granted, you know, planners planners say, oh, you know, it's all about the public interest. But I'm wondering, you know, we say it so many times. I wonder if we've we've actually lost sight of what that actually is, uh, and who that actually is. Um, like, who is the public in public transit? Uh, who are we planning for? You know, despite our best intentions, intentions, I. I don't know if the people we say we're planning for actually, <laughs> uh, actually, um, actually exist, uh, yeah. possibly, right? Well, so that that's a that's a good um, segue into my next question for you. Is in your career in public space planning, can you tell me about what a citizen can do to make a difference in their local community? Yeah, I I think just just uh, I said something that I didn't expect to say. I was on a 
on a radio program in Toronto on, I think, a couple days after New Year's. Uh, and I was asked that same, same question. And, and, and without even thinking about it, I said, people need to seize their citizenship. Mm. And I didn't realize that you know, I, I could string those words together. It seemed like quite an abstraction. Um, but what I really mean, and I'm glad I said it, but what I really mean is for to people to truly live within their communities, uh, not just, not just, you know, have a home there, or work there, but actually, actually invest, not mm-hmm. just, you know, a lot of your paychecks into your mortgage, but, but emotionally invest in your community. Um, right. Uh, get to get to truly know people. Get to see yourself and your and and in the community and in in the community in yourself, and take ownership and responsibility for not only your community but the people in it. Yeah, uh, yeah. and to almost adopt them. Uh, and and I really believe that a lot of the erosion of of civic pride and civic engagement. And which has given rise to populism in these days uh, is really, I think, can be traced back to a lack of ownership um, in community beyond a home. So, Sean, let me ask you then, because it's an interesting question that that just comes to mind around around that that notion of engagement and and thinking about urban spaces i mean you can you can try to be civically active say in a rural community outside of the gta you know a small hamlet or you can um you know or you can be doing the same kind of effort say in a downtown core area where the densities and the population and the diversity is so much more you know more vibrant um, what's your what's your view on that? Because uh, you know, small communities need to be engaged too. But it's really a, it, it is a different world, isn't it? Yeah, it is. But it, it's sort of a paradox. Um, I, I've 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 never felt so alone in a lot of you know larger spaces. Sometimes, mm-hmm. even though I'm all around people, right? Even though right. I'm you know in someone's armpit uh on on the <laughs> transit yeah, yeah. uh you know not not lately but but because of covid but I, I feel like i'm around people all the time but i but i've never felt lonelier mm. um now growing up in a small town uh Harrow, ontario just south of windsor right. uh you know we can drive uh, 30 minutes and be at tiger stadium um uh, from my house right. uh is um I, I i it was sort of the inverse i saw fewer and fewer people but I felt truly connected. Um, I, I felt responsible for the people around me, and I think they felt that I was responsible for them too. Um, and there's this, it's almost, a, it's, it's, it's maybe, I'm usually pretty good with words, but it is difficult to, to describe. Um, but it's almost a, a, part of our, a part of our makeup, a part of our soul, a part of ourselves. Um, so I think rural, um, in the absence of the number of bodies, the, that void is filled by, I think, maybe a depth and breadth of connection with people and with place. Uh, so I, 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 I'm, I'm really quite um, defensive, even though I didn't grow up in a, in a, in a, you know, a suburban setting, but I'm, I'm extremely defensive of suburbs and the attacks leveled um by downtowns not just toronto Mm -hmm. but by downtowns all over at the suburbs because 
you know, um, the suburbs are, you know, they're full of people too. Uh, and the suburbs aren't, um, devoid of, of passion or devoid of diversity or devoid of, of good food or whatever it is you want to compare it to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you may have to look a little bit harder for it. Um, but it's there and you just Mm -hmm. have to be open to it. And so I, but that's, that's just how I'm sort of calibrated. I mean, I always, I love architecture. I love beautiful streets, but I, I, I think I'm, I'm not completely seduced by them. I always see beyond to the people. Well, no. And what's interesting with me when you, when you describe that, Sean, it's almost like, you know, I mean, I think that just brings a, a whole different layer of depth to you with regards to how you view your role in, in society as a planner. Cause now you're able to, you know, recall or, or relive that small town connectedness. And I guess br- try to bring that into the world of the, you know, the big city spaces. Is that, is yeah. that part of how you look at the world? <laughs> yeah, I guess not consciously, but now that mm. you said it, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> it. <laughs> um, man, awesome. talk about leaving the, the window to the soul open, Elmar. Oh, my God, what else, what else can you see? <laughs> You're staring at me, man. Um, no, but, but you, you nailed it. I mean, it really, um, I still feel like I'm this, you know, you know, this boy from, from outside, uh, from outside Windsor. Um, I, I still feel like, uh, like the guy who walked uh, to main street to, to do my, uh, to do my jobs at the grocery store. And, uh, uh we had an old Stedman's and, and, uh, walking to, uh, walking to the arena, walking to the ball diamond, seeing, you know, picking up a few friends along the way. And yeah. I, I, I still am very much that person. And even when I'm in a large meeting room or, you know, at a council meeting or a formal setting, I'm still that, I'm still that sort of rough edged kid, uh, who just wants to give everyone a hug and get to know everybody. Tell me, how do you bring that, um, that perspective and i'm just thinking of the bigger city situation now where you know you really it sounds like the ideal planning goal is to create that small town feel throughout a big urban center or 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 tell me your view on that is that yeah i think i think we're yeah it's true but i think it's just you're just one tick off though and i think what it is it's 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 not so much kind of a scalar issue between you know town and suburb and city mm. if you think about it it's really at the human level I mean, we're not engaging each other one-on-one right and and i think you know i know this sounds hokey but but if you strip everything away we're just people right yes, yes. um we're, we're just people and we are the stories we tell each other right and yeah. that's always been very powerful um driving force for me because sometimes like a you know, even though I'm, you know, I have lots of degrees and I have lots of experience and, you know, I teach and I supposedly know a few things, mm-hmm. I often feel like I know nothing uh, when I'm up there uh, in front of a council or whatever I'm doing. I'm absolutely humbled by, by what I'm doing. And what grounds me is becoming that, you know, that kid uh, growing up in a small town and connecting with people one-on-one and that's what gets me through um and and ironically that's what people say that oh i'm just so smart because i connect with people well i'm just being myself i'm just i'm i'm just I, I, that's just my fallback right 
Um, but more and more in my career, what I found is that's really the key to everything. Mm, the um, humanness of who Sean the is. The humanness. And I think we're yeah. really losing that today um, on, on uh, you know, neighborhood level, street level, block level, citywide, region-wide, province-wide. We're losing it. We're losing that perspective. So let me ask you then. I mean, you mentioned a personal journey of your own uh, with regards to a local traffic issue. And how was that experience of being on different sides and playing different roles in the process? And how did that, um, you know, how did that experience sit with you? Yeah, I, I don't think the, the listeners had the benefit of our yeah. uh, kind of <laughs> our, our, our pre-confab. Um, but, you know, I, um, I live in a neighborhood in Toronto where um, despite a lot of gentrification and, and uh, you know, a lot of uh, organic bagel options, et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. you know, tr- traffic, traffic, and, and despite that it's served by, well tra- uh, by transit really well, traffic is an issue. Uh, and um, what I'm finding is that it's, uh, you know, I'm a grown man. I'm, well, partially grown. Uh, <laughs> I'm physically grown anyway. Uh, you know, I'm over six feet. Um, I'm not exactly... Um, you know, meek. Uh, and I feel a lot of times scared uh, to cross the street, uh, mm-hmm. especially with my son, uh, who's a, who's a, a, a young, uh, young kid, he's a teenager. Yeah. Uh, and um, I'm thinking, wait a minute, here I am, this, you know, a mature, able bodied man, I'm concerned about crossing the street in my own neighborhood. How does that how does that translate to somebody who maybe is in a wheelchair or is half my height and half my weight or frail or ill or, you know, mentally challenged or, you know, otherly abled, whatever, you know, the, 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 the variables go on and on and on. Yeah. And I live in an area of the city, uh, like many, where there is a high proportion of, of vulnerable people in terms of income and racialized communities. And I'm thinking, here I am, this this privileged, educated, professional white male uh, concerned about crossing the street. Man, imagine what it's like for my neighbors. Um, so I took it upon myself to do something about it. Uh, and it and it literally took me nine months just to get a police officer to come and look at the uh, traffic intersection and and realize that yes there is an issue here, and then it took another six months uh, for my city councilor uh, to actually direct uh, transportation staff to come and change the mode of control, uh, fancy word to just mm-hmm. say the signal timing, and so we get a, a cross a crosswalk signal when it turns uh, green as opposed to hitting the, the bag button, as we like to call it. Mm-hmm. So that, that was almost, a, that was a, a better part of a year and a bit. And, and this is from someone who understands what happens within the municipal environment, understands sort of the decision-making process and the, you know, the criteria, and that yeah. still took you over a year. Yeah, it did. And I'm thinking... Wow, um, there are communities um, in much worse shape, you know, from a pedestrian perspective than mine. Uh, and I know this from my from my research um, for Metrolinks and, and social equity. Uh, and I, and it really sparked something in me where my my professional life is someone dealing in transportation, active transportation, and transit. Uh, and and equity, uh, and someone who's just tries to be a good citizen. And those two things converged in me, 
So how did it feel to be sort of in the shoes of a professional planner who understands the processes and understands, you know, how things are viewed and then put your shoes of a citizen on and, you know, try to navigate that process? How, yeah. how did that feel? You know, what my, my first feeling was one of just, I, I was angry mm-hmm. at the way the system worked or didn't work when I was also, you know, feeling a bit ashamed because mm. I was a part of this larger system that made it so difficult in the first place. Right. Uh, not, you know, certainly not intentionally, right? Yeah. Certainly not maybe directly, but indirectly by virtue of being a professional involved in transportation issues and urban development issues and to a degree urban policy making decisions. Yeah. Uh, and it was very humbling for Milama because, you know, we tell people um, all the time to, you know, we, we tell them about the virtues of living in a, uh, a milk and honey type pedestrian friendly, complete uh, community, beautiful main streets, uh, you know, walk and cycle and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and here and here we are, um, you know, endangering the lives of people doing something as simple as crossing the street. It's, so it's incredible, it's like, isn't it? like, what are we talking about? Yeah. Like, yeah. what the hell are we talking about? Uh, and that also speaks to, you know, your your humanness, Sean, the way you're describing how you just want to, you know, come as you are and be present. And and here you are in a situation where you're trying to affect some change in your community. And and, you know, can you, you know, just imagine if if you had no real sense of how the process worked, how much more frustrating that would have been. Exactly. And, and that actually made me even more angry. Um, because if it if it takes uh, a quote unquote expert to you know f- what the equivalent of four seasons uh, to yeah. to do this, yeah. um, what hope do we have? So I um, uh, luckily, uh, fortunately, my counselor um, decided to to listen and uh, took some action and and actually um, at my suggestion um, struck uh, the very first uh, community uh, pedestrian and cycling safety committee in the city of Toronto uh, in in Ward 5 a few years ago and um, the councillor showed up the, the provincial member of parliament some city staff and we met in a, in a community center in, in one of uh, Toronto's um, neighborhood improvement areas uh, where there's a high proportion of public housing and, and uh, sometimes uh, higher than, than average crimes and rates of poverty and, and uh, lower levels of educational attainment, et cetera, et cetera. So the fact that we had the meeting there, um, I think, um, set the right tone. And we had a lot of people from the community who would otherwise not have access to the city of Toronto machinery. We had them in the room uh, and uh, literally sitting shoulder to shoulder with decision makers at the city of Toronto, including a prominent councillor who at the time was you know, deputy mayor and the speaker of uh, speaker of council. So that was quite a quite a thing. And over the course of about a year, um, with the support of a counselor, we did come up with a, a multi-point plan uh, to improve pedestrian safety and cycling uh, safety within our ward with a focus on connecting vulnerable pockets of our 
community, with the subway, with the with rapid transit, with with educational facilities, etc. That sounds um, like a huge success, Sean. I I think. I mean, but you know, Ilmar, one thing I kept saying was, well, yes, it on on so many ways is success, but why 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 does this have to be so hard? Mm. Right. Why does something as simple and as logical as moving in your, around your community safely? Why is that so difficult? So, so with the work that you were able to achieve with the city, though, was that leveraged in any way? Like, was is it? Well, has it simplified the process. <laughs> um, short answer is I I, I don't think so. Mm. Um, but. What we were hoping for is that would be kind of a living, breathing plan that would sort of, I guess, sink into the consciousness of decision makers, both within our ward and outside the city, and that it would be scaled up. And and this uh, this this community-based approach to safety would would be adopted in, in the other wards in Toronto, um, and that was certainly, you know, the intention. And then, you know, usually, you know, as what happens, politics happens, there is a change in provincial government, there was a municipal election, um, there was a amalgamation of the wards in the city of Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, the size of our ward literally doubled overnight. Um, and then the 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 activity kind of went underground for a while, kind of went into a bit of a, a sleepy, uh, a sleepy uh, stage. Uh, and uh, COVID happened, <laughs> so <laughs> right. So yeah, I am hope- and... I am hopeful that 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 um, that uh, that this will, you know, come back. Um, the good news is we're talking about pedestrian safety um, and cycling opportunities across the city mm-hmm. uh, as a response to uh, COVID nineteen and social distancing, etc. Um, however, I think, but neighborhoods like ours, uh, vulnerable neighborhoods, and there are many in Toronto, uh, were literally bypassed by a lot of these improvements. Um, so can I right? ask you, yeah, and can I ask you with regards to the community members that sort of um, got involved with you or supported you on this journey, can you talk a little bit about their experience or what feedback you might have got from the community and sort of your perspective on you know, what their reaction to the success or the journey itself? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, I, I learned, you know, I thought I knew quite a bit about, you know, my neighborhood, you know, being an urban planner and living in Toronto for quite a long time. I was just blown away by the, um, by the generations of people who have lived and grown up and, and had families and successive generations of families in, in this neighborhood and have seen it change. And I was just humbled by um, their, their, their love, their care and their knowledge. And I was wondering, you know, why did it take something like this for, for us to all come together? Um, right. And, and, and uh, I found myself, you know, as an expert, you know, at the beginning, doing a lot of the talking, and then uh, towards the end, um, I, I hardly had to say a damn thing um, because a, I mean, I wasn't the smartest person in the room, and b, 
um, I did not have the type of knowledge uh, that that group needed. Um, the group needed history. The group needed um, a larger sample size of what life was like, which I just didn't have, right? So that's the limits of, of expertise, right? <laughs> you know, it really speaks to the um, the value of that civic engagement, right? I mean, that's really what it's about. It's finding that next level of knowledge or, or, or community, you know, pulse, right? It's the culture of the community that you're now exposing. Yeah, and another interesting thing, since you mentioned it, Elmar, was, um, you know, one thing I like to say be provocative when I'm in a lot of transit planning sessions is, is say that, you know, we build transit in Toronto, not to serve transit users, but to serve drivers. Mm. Um, and I, and I, and I firmly believe that I wish I did it, but I firmly believe that, especially the latest Ford government announcements about, you know, the unnecessary tunneling, a lot of our LRTs, mm. uh, for mm. example, well, that's right. not to, that's not to, you know, benefit the transit users that's that's to that's to get transit out of the way of the of the drivers interesting um, yeah. that's to yeah. keep it out of the out of out of sight of the people who who live in lower density areas uh, along the along the corridor and don't want their neighbors neighborhoods to change interesting yeah well and it's interesting because they're they're very competing needs right and especially in the larger urban centers they are so bringing it back to the cycling committee um, mm -hmm. is what I found was interesting about this quote unquote community engagement is it actually involved people who walked and cycled in the neighborhood. And that might sound like a stupid point to make, right? Like, oh, yeah. of course it would. But actually, if you think about a lot of the engagement that we have in Toronto, we engage with the wrong people. Right. Um, you know, like, I'm involved in a lot of development projects and, 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 the, and the people who who show up usually in opposition to to new housing um, are those who actually really don't have much of a stake in the housing at all. They're already housed. Right. Right. They're fine. Yeah. Yeah. It's the you know, who's not in there are the people who are younger, who will be yeah. forced uh, if this housing is not built, uh, will be forced to leave the community. Right. Or yeah. people who are um, lower income who need to to come into that part of the city to work, uh, but but otherwise uh, not afford to to live there. And because of transportation is so timely and so costly in the city, they're 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 quite literally excluded from this neighborhood. Those are the people that's the real community that needs to be engaged in, in the issue. So, so then it, it's interesting because that can create in itself a bit of a social divide. And, yeah. you know, if I think about, you know, as a say as a commuter, if you are a, 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 a vehicle user and you're traveling, you know, between 30 and 50 minutes to go to work, the highway system is important, you know, the traffic flow is important versus, you know, a local resident whose work is a 10 minute walk or a short subway commute or something that doesn't involve public, you know, a, a vehicle on the public right of ways. Mm -hmm. That, that, you know, that can create a divide in and of itself socially, but then you also have, you know, I'm assuming a fairly large population that does both in some form or fashion. 
And it's almost like, you know, learning to be a bicycle user on the right-of-ways and a car driver, that needs its own bit of education as well. So how do you feel about having these sort of different priorities as residents and, you know, and often cases multiple priorities depending on, you know, what your particular need is at the time? Yeah. Does it create sensitivity? Does it create conflict? Uh, short answer, yes. Uh, I think the missing ingredient is that we're, we're lacking empathy. Mm. Uh, I think we're, as experts and non-experts, we're effectively making decisions for each other without getting to know each other. Okay. Uh, imagine the power of people making transit decisions that actually took transit. Right. Imagine the power of, of cycling um, when people making the decisions actually cycled. Rely um, on that mode, yeah. Right? Um, yeah. And, and so too, you know, people, you know, um, shaming drivers for driving, but do they realize maybe that they have no choice because they can't afford to live in Toronto and they're forced to drive? Right, right. Right? So yeah. let's... Yeah. Let's let's get to understand each other. And I think if we get to know each other, we get to understand each other. And if we understand each other, then we get to respect each other. And when we respect each other, we can work together. And when we work together, we can do anything. Yeah, I like that thought process. And that makes so much sense for, you know, everyone who works within and lives within a community, right? I mean, we are essentially all neighbors in our own little communities, right? Yeah, and I think I think we're missing that. I think we're neighbors, but we're not necessarily neighborly, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Actually, I wanted to ask you too, just a question around your your professional, um, your you know, your lecturing and your professional work around uh, working with students. Um, do you have anything that you want to share with regards to that experience and sort of future planners that are you know on that education path and looking forward to you know what might be say in the next five to ten years within this field yeah i i I think the short answer is that you know teaching is i think the the most important rewarding thing that i'll ever do Mm. um, apart from the projects i'm involved in which are great um, but i think my true legacy uh, is educating the next generation of you know, not only planners, but just thinkers, doers, the next generation of citizens. Nice. And if I can make them, you know, if I can help them to see things that aren't easily seen, if I can help them ask the tough and unanswered questions, if, if I can help them, you know, not rush to seek permission to do the right thing, if I can somehow give them license to just do what they think should be done, uh, I think that that'll be my great legacy as a as as a as an expert in planning, not necessarily the things that I'm planning, but the, but the students that I'm working with. Mm. One of the things that I tell them, and I tell them lots of stuff, uh, <laughs> and <laughs> miraculously, I think some of it gets listened to. <laughs> um, I'm always surprised when something I said gets gets <laughs> gets included in an exam. Uh, answer or an essay question but i i always tell them look we're planning for 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 the future but but at no other time in our in our in our history have has this has the future been so uncertain mm. um and it might sound obvious but but in planning uh, it used to be that you you plot uh, population and employment growth and land absorption for the next few years and then you just continue that line right and and that was it 
Um, and that line has been bouncing all over the place, uh, especially the last few years. Um, just in the last few, we've had how many recessions we've had, how many government changes uh, we've had, how much social unrest, how much uh, climate um, uh, catastrophe, um, uh, like so much uh, cynicism uh, in our politics and in our civil society. I mean, so are you trying to create students that are more resilient or more, well, more thought provoking? I think what? so. Well, it's just just students who 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 think that you know we don't have to accept the the, the future as it comes to us. We mm -hmm. we can meet it ourselves. Uh, we can, you know, the future is changing in ways we can't comprehend. Right. So let's just stop trying to solve all the problems and let's just take a moment and understand what the problem is in the first place. Yes. It seems like we, we rush to solutions without even understanding what the problem might be. And isn't that interesting because that often leads you to new solutions that you would never even uh, contemplated. Yeah. I, I, I just think we spend so much time doing and, and, and rushing to, for an answer that we, we aren't even really appreciating what it is we're actually doing and, and who it's actually impacting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and I think we don't put a, a, put a value on just deep and long thinking anymore, just like the iPhone or, you know, ordering a pizza through an app. Uh, we're used to this sort of instant, like transactional um, relationship between information and results. That does not translate into planning and engineering. It, it, it shouldn't. I, I, you know, um, building great cities and forging, building great things and forging great relationships and having great revelation takes effort, takes, yes. takes patience, yeah. takes vision, and it takes curiosity, and it takes courage. Uh, none, none of which, none of which avail themselves in what I like to call our, our self-serve city of today. Well, and it'll be interesting to see, too. I mean, if you think about, you know, the GTA in Toronto in particular, I mean, the vision for the future city is quite, uh, you know, quite, quite um, grand and quite, you know, quite visionary in and of itself. And that transformation is going to happen over the next 50, 60 years. But, it, you know, again, it's a slow and methodical process. And And how do you, as a planner, how do you... What would you advise, you know, citizens to to think about as you know as things change? Because you know, change happens around us, whether we choose to, uh, you know, acknowledge it or support it or even recognize it. And yeah, I, how I, do you... I, I have a I have a story for that. Um, okay. I actually have an answer. Um, <laughs> when I was a young planner, um, at the at the then just recently amalgamated city of Toronto, uh, chief planner at the time, Paul Bedford. Okay. Uh, would would gather us all together uh, in in large meeting rooms all over the city and and uh, tell us that you know we're we were in the process of of uh, coming together uh, you know building the new the the, the first city, uh, official plan for the city of Toronto right. and he would say you know you guys think you know what you're talking about but he said I think you guys are missing the point and he um, we had a he, I think he had an old like carousel slide projector which added to the uh, <laughs> which added to the drama 
and you heard this click in what appeared on the then just recently completed Humber um, pedestrian bridge mm. uh, was a little boy. I think he called, I forget who he called. He, this little kid was a um, little boy. He was about four or five years old. And he said, he started flapping his arms and as, as Paul does. And he said, we're planning for him. Mm. He said, don't forget we're planning for him. By the time this plan will come to its planning horizon in 25 years old, where is he going to be? Will he be uh, living in Toronto? Will he have a family? Um, where he, where will he work? Where, where will his parents be? Mm. Um, where, uh, where will his kids go to school? Um, will he find a place to live and raise his family in a place that's safe and he can afford? And it just, it was just so beautiful and profound in its simplicity and it just blew us away. And that's something that I still think of every, virtually every day or, you know, or at least when I do my population and employment forecasts, I I think of that little boy in the bridge and, and Paul Bedford, you know, flapping his arms <laughs> <laughs> but isn't and that it, what makes it so real right that's but it keeps does, it human. But, but at the same time i mean you know it's almost like people are an afterthought yeah. there's this there's yeah. this paradox uh you know when we're putting pipes in the ground and uh building water treatment plants and we talk about growth projections and we talk about projected needs well where does that come from it comes from people like it's so easy to right. just statisticalize people without 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 understanding that they're, you know, they're just like us, that people's little decisions that they make and don't make and where they drive and don't drive and walk and where they flush the toilet and where they eat and where they work. And yeah, so it, it, we can't lose sight of the people. Otherwise all the planning in the world really doesn't matter. It doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. And Sean, thank you for sharing that story because really that's what, what, that's what makes it real, right? This is, This is, uh, you know, I mean, you know, right? I mean, the moment we have our children, that's the moment we realize, holy smoke, everything we're doing is for them, right? And there's nothing more real than recognizing that, uh, you know, the things that we affect change around can have huge implications. And, yeah. you know, we talk about seven generations as a, as an uh, as an approach, you know, from an Aboriginal perspective. But, you know, I mean, we're barely able to look one generation ahead, right? Yes. Yes. Uh, you know, we make decisions and, you know, um, cycles of, of elections, right. Or, you know, economic forecasts or, you know, the release of the next iPhone. Um, uh, it's, it's, it, it, thanks for giving me the opportunity to just, <laughs> uh, think and, and uh, sorry, I've, I've been, feel like I've been doing more talking than I should, Elmar, but no, it's your fault you're... because you're a good interviewer and, and you, you know, you, you, you get, you ask good questions. And I think, I, I think that there's something we can all learn from that. Is, yes. You know, we all rush, we, we all rush to answers, right, Elmar? But sometimes asking good questions <laughs> can answer more questions, right? Right. Well, so I'm going to ask one more question. And Sean, this is around, you know, if you could ask for whatever call of action for the people listening, like what would you want people to take away from this as to what they could do in their lives to affect change in our communities? I, I think just actually look within ourselves, look, look within each other um, to, to say, well, 
you know, you hear the, the saying, you know, be the change, right? And, and it's, mm-hmm. it's almost, you know, it's almost overused. I don't know how many greeting cards it's on, but there is some truth to that. Um, we, we are a great gift, uh, each of us and what we bring. There's nobody else like us. No one else thinks like us. We may have similar degrees or similar life experiences, but only we can think and act and love and care and get angry like we can. And to use that power, use, um, enable, you know, give ourselves permission to be ourselves and to use that to inform the type of goodness that we bring into the world and Mm -hmm. to find our voice, to find that piece of music that we're meant to play in our lives. And and for me, it was just sort of, I guess I just stumbled upon it by getting frustrated why I can't cross, uh, cross the street with my son. Yes. Um, without our lives passing before our eyes. And before I knew it, I was working with, you know, all kinds of city departments and neighbors that I've never met before and vulnerable populations. And we were creating something together, but it's that, that, that passion, that fire that I had, that sense of injustice that I felt that, that people couldn't even cross the street. I mean, that translated into this thing that, that we created. And, but that wouldn't have happened if I didn't get, if I didn't allow myself permission to get upset, uh, to, to, to look within myself and remind myself, wait a minute, you're an urban planner. You, you know who to call, do something about it. Um, and I think we can all have our moments like that. And imagine if all of us had a moment like that. And imagine. I think, you know what, if, yeah, if everyone had a moment like that, that would be huge, huge transformation for sure. Yeah. Looking inside. I like that. I like that. Any last words, Sean? Oh, well, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you, Omar, for creating space. Yes. Um, and I think we need space uh, to to talk, uh, to listen, to ask questions, uh, and just to think and reflect. And it's it's these these th- these opportunities, these spaces are fewer and fewer and far between. I think with social media and other things, everything is so instant, instantaneous. And I think we're communicating like never before, but what are we actually saying to each other? Mm, yeah. Well, right? Sean, I appreciate, I really appreciate your perspective and, and the views of, of your world and how they impact all of us. Right. So I really, really appreciate this. This uh, Some good lessons you've left with the community for sure. Oh, well, thank so, you, Elmar. Thank you that, very, very much. Thank you, Sean. Take care. Thank you, Elmer.